0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. passage that brings out the message of the song that we just sang, that God never moves without purpose or plan. Yet I wonder sometimes if we, we can sing that, we know it intellectually, but have you ever wondered if God loves you? I think most of us at some point have been tempted to, to ask that question, does God really love me? Oh, we, we know theologically, we know intellectually, we know scripturally that God so loved the world. We're part of the world, so we kind of fall in. But, you know, there's 8 billion people in the world right now. Now, there's been almost 13 million people born this year. And we're barely into the second month and so we start to wonder, well, okay, I know God loves the world and I'm in the world, but does he actually see me? know, there, there are twice as many people alive today as there were back in 1970. So while we may acknowledge that God loves the world and we understand that, are there not times that we really wonder, have I gotten lost in the crowd? That we have the intellectual understanding when trials come, when difficulties come, when the pressures of life cave in. Years ago I, I worked at the Wilds uh, Christian camp in North Carolina. One of the people that I, I, I met through the connections with the Wilds was Linda Moldrum. Linda had grown up in Colorado and one day she received word that her father, who was a long-haul trucker, was killed in a, in a trucking accident. And not long after that, Linda received word that her brother was burned very severely in a similar trucking accident. So she boarded a plane from South Carolina to fly to Colorado, and as she got on the plane, she did not know if her brother would live or die. She didn't know if she, when she arrived if he would still be alive. And as she was on that plane, she realized God is in control. I called her several years ago her brother ended up dying in that accident but I had called her a number of years ago and asked her about the situation and she said it's in those moments that you have to know the promises of God and hold on to them at that moment and she took the words of Job though he slay me yet will I trust in him she wrote a poem from that Mac Lynch actually put it to to music But it was in that trial, and she made the comment, one of those stanzas in that poem is, each thread of my life weaves a pattern the Lord has laid out in advance, a pattern that's fashioned in beauty, the master leaves nothing to chance. And then the chorus taking the words from Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. You know, that's difficult. It's not really hard for us to believe God loves us when things are going well. When things are working the way we want, when when everything seems to be going smoothly, but it's when troubles come, when those trials flood in, that the doubts begin to come. Does, Does God really love me? Not just the world. And understanding that. So I I want us to consider this morning the aspect of the eternal value of temporary trouble. Our theme for this year is looking at investing for eternity. And and trouble is not really an area that we look to invest in. That is not something that we are inviting, and yet God brings that. And there's a purpose for it for believers. And, And understanding that when those trials come, what is it that has come into your life? You know, maybe it's a doctor's report that was not encouraging. Financial problems that are looming, marital difficulties that, that arise or just continue. They're not getting better. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's lingering health problems. Or when we struggle to get victory with the same sin that has, we, we call it a besetting sin because it keeps coming up. You know, sometimes it's not the major traumas. It's just the continual pressure and hassles of life. You know, you feel like you never get a break. And what is the value of this? You know, the theme in the book of Romans, this letter, is the righteousness of God. The good news that the gospel comes to sinners, that that sinners can be justified by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That because of what Christ did, we have right standing before God. And then the process of being made righteous is the process we refer to as sanctification. And Romans 6 through 8 are dealing with the process of sanctification. And so when we come to the 8th chapter of Romans, it, it begins by stating there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's already an aspect of hope that, that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are not under the condemnation of sin. That's verses 1-4. through 4. The chapter continues by saying there is no domination of sin for those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That's verses 5-17. through 17. And that when the Holy Spirit is in us, that we are not under the dominion of sin. Now sometimes we, we question that experientially. But it's again, it's holding on to those promises, that sure foundation. And then beginning in verses 18 through verse 39, through the end of the chapter, we see there is no separation from the love of Christ. And yet this is a very brutal chapter. It talks about being lambs led to the slaughter. It talks about all sorts of problems coming. And yet the passage, the, the paragraph I want us to consider this, this morning that begins in verse 18 is really a section that is framed by hope. There are, there are bookends of hope that are given here. In verse 18 and verse 30, and we're going to le- read this passage in a few moments, but, but it's actually introduced in verse 17. As it states that if we suffer with Christ, we will be glorified with Him. And so there's that aspect of hope. And then in verse 18, it says that our present suffering really isn't even worthy of being compared to the glory that is coming. And then in verse 30, it provides the hope for those who are chosen by God that those who are chosen, He will glorify. So we, we see the hope that is there of the glorification that comes to the children of God that what God has begun, He will accomplish, and so we can trust Him. In fact, God is so supremely in control that He is able to use all things that happen to a Christian in such a way to serve for our good and His glory. In His infinite wisdom and power, He makes everything beneficial for His children to those who love Him. And, and well, if you've been saved for a while, if you know the Bible, you, you know that it in, in from Scripture, but the reality, aren't there times in our lives we say, but it doesn't seem like it. Lord, why is this happening? What are you doing? Well, let's look at God's Word together. Follow with me as I begin reading in Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. <clears throat> Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who are the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning... We pray that we would apply it personally, that your Holy Spirit would encourage us as your dear children to recognize that whatever is going on, the problems, the trials, have a purpose for which you are seeking to accomplish and that we would trust you. And Lord, we do pray that if there are those that don't know you, that they would understand how these promises can be theirs. As we look into your word, give us open hearts. In Christ's name, amen. What I want us to see from this passage this morning is that as a child of God, if you are a believer, you can be confident that God governs your circumstances, those things that come into your life, with the ultimate purpose that is for your good and for His glory. As I mentioned, our theme this year is investing for eternity. And and when it comes to pain, suffering, trials, difficulties, those are, are things we actually try to avoid not to invest in. But the truth is, it's going to happen. And while we certainly don't seek problems, we can squander difficulties if we're not careful. This is why James tells us, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into multicolored, diverse, various-colored trials, knowing that the testing of your faith works patience. It doesn't mean we enjoy the trials, but we understand God has a bigger purpose. And that we don't want to lose sight of that. The first thing I want to see from this passage, though, is we need to recognize the cause of suffering. In the context, we, we understand that the source of suffering does not necessarily bring comfort. But it does bring clarity. That, that understanding why this happens, why suffering comes, is not really what gives us that comfort. But it it can help direct our thinking because right doctrine is the foundation for consolation. That that sure foundation that we have, and we need to understand that because one of the significant causes of of confusion and, and damaging grief that comes into the lives of Christians is often the wrong expectation of the Christian life. We assume or we expect that because we are, we are the children of God, we should be exempt from tragedy. And, and we may not even acknowledge that, but we sometimes act that way. Lord, Lord, if, I, if I'm really your child, why is this happening? You know, why me? Why this? I mean, have you ever asked that, Lord, why is this happening? I, I've asked that. What I find is God doesn't answer that why question very often. But he does answer what? What he's seeking to do. In fact, if you read of Job, Job isn't actually told why all these problems came, and frankly, I don't think it would have been that great a comfort to him. But God does tell him what he's doing, and Job comes through that with a better relationship with the Lord. But in our culture, it's easy for us to subtly buy into the, the health and wealth gospel teaching of our culture. Of our world, that that if if you if you have trusted the Lord, you have this get out of tribulation free card, and that just isn't life. That isn't the Christian life. And so when when troubles come, we wonder, well, Lord, why me? Is God punishing me? Does He really love me? Does He love me personally? You know, when 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 somebody that we love, when a family mem- member is tru- troubled. Or struggling or going through difficulties. And, 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 and as one person expressed, they said, Lord, I wouldn't let my child go through this if I had the power. Why do you let your children go through it? I mean, th- these, are, these are the hard questions. But the truth is, if we live long enough, we're going to suffer. You know, people we care about are going to be afflicted with disease, loved ones die. Accidents occur, tragedies happen, life brings disappointment, and people let us down. People we trust betray us. Why does all this happen? Well, what we need to understand is first of all, you are surrounded by the consequences of the fall. We live in a fallen world. Creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption, it says in verse 21. You know, the pain and problems, the difficulties were not part of God's original design. This was, this was not the case in the garden. It's the result of the fall, the curse of sin. And, and, and so we see it even in creation, the natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, pestilence, diseases that plague our world. You know, at, at Christmas, our, our son, our, our family was here, and Tim flew in from, from Africa. He'd been there with a, a camp, and, and in the process of that, he was in Rwanda, which he said is a very safe country now, I think, back to years ago, when it wasn't. But in the process of that, he, their flight landed in Uganda. He never even got off the plane. But because the flight went through Uganda and there had been an outbreak of Ebola in Uganda, there were only five airports that he was allowed to fly into in the United States. And the reason for that was because that flight had landed there, they wanted to have an extra screening process available when you entered the United States. Now, as I'm thinking of that, it's like, okay, how many people got on that plane? How many other international flights did they go to? How does this really protect... But there's that concern. This is disease. And he was fine and and there were no problems, but this is the world we live in. It's a fallen world. And much of our daily difficulty can be attributed directly to being in a sinful world. And it's not just the creation, it's people. People who respond sinfully, they react selfishly, and innocent people get hurt. And when that happens, the goodness of God is always questioned. You know, why does God allow? I, I, always, I find it interesting, Satan doesn't get blamed. You know, why did Satan do that? I mean, he's the... But, but because of the power of God, we, we do wonder that why do these things happen? And, and part of it is we live in a fallen world. But another aspect is we struggle with personal sinfulness. And we see this in verse 23. Not only that, but we're the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly anticipating, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. You know, we we look forward to it, and that's one of the reasons we sometimes struggle, so is God punishing me? Because we know we struggle. We, we know there are times, and, and understand there are times that God is chastening. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. But, but his chastening is corrective, not punitive. And it's good to recognize the difference between falling into sin and running into sin. You know, if we fall into sin, we, we, we need, we deserve that pity. If we run into sin, we deserve punishment mean Proverbs 22.3 says, the prudent foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. You know, if somebody slips and falls into a river and they can't swim, we, we pity them and we want to rescue them. When, but you know, if somebody runs into the river and they can't swim, it's like, what were you thinking? You know, don't do that. Well, if we run towards sin, don't be surprised that we get hurt. Sin leaves a mark. The way of the transgressor, the, the unfaithful is hard, it says in Proverbs thirteen fifteen, and, and sin brings sorrow and suffering. And so there is an aspect because of our own sinfulness. And, and I think it's interesting when you look at this passage, there are actually three statements of that struggle, that groaning. Number, we, we see in verse 22 that creation groans. So we know the whole creation groans. So the, the problems within our culture... Then in verse 23, it says believers groan that while our soul is redeemed, we're still waiting for the redemption of our body. The, the body is wearing out. You know, when we get to heaven, we get our glorified body, we won't need replacement parts. You know, I need hip replacement. I need this replaced. I need that. No, when we get to heaven, we'll get that glorified body. But right now, there's a groaning. You know, everything hurts. Everything hurts. You know, the older you get, you wake up and say, if it doesn't hurt, am I still alive? You know, there's because we live in a fallen world. But even beyond that, it says the Holy Spirit groans. We see that in verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps in our weakness with groanings which can't be uttered. That we can be patient in difficulty because the Holy Spirit assists us in our Ignorance. We don't, we don't even know how to pray as we should. We, we, we really don't know what's best for us. Now, we think we do. I think I do. But it, we're, we're like children that need, they're not well and they need medicine, but they don't want the medicine because it doesn't taste good. And as adults, and, and if you've had a child who's been injured and, and having to take them to the doctor, and I remember taking one, you know, our, our kids, I would usually be the one who took them for stitches. And when they, when they fall, they'd run to mom. When they had to go to the ER, I, I was the one who took them. And I remember once where they needed, one of our kids needed stitches and, and I could see the wound, they couldn't. And I'm like, oh, that is nasty. And it's going to have to be cleaned out and and my heart goes out because it's like I know it's going to hurt and they're going to numb it and they're going to clean but they've got to clean it out before they sew it up. The doctor is not causing pain because he wants to cause pain, but it's necessary for the healing. God knows what we need. And and we don't like pain. I don't like pain. But the Holy Spirit understands the heart of the Father. And the sacrifice of the Son that accomplishes God's good in our lives for His glory. So, what is the will of God? Well, God's will is that none would perish. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Humanity's greatest need, and going back to what is the need of our world, the need of our world is salvation. Our world needs a Savior that God's love sent His Son to meet that need, and He met that need by dying for sin. And so as Christians, when we have trusted in Jesus Christ by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, our greatest need is to be like Jesus. And that involves being separated from sin because there is no sin in Him, and that's the struggle. So the second thing that we see then in this passage is we can rest in the confidence of God's promise. There is a family relationship that is being brought out here. The goodness of God, the family relationship, in fact, Romans 8.15 notes that as believers, we are adopted into God's family and so we can cry out, Abba, Father. That affectionate term. That familial relationship, that He's not just a distant heavenly Father, He is a personal heavenly Father for us. And so, verse 16 notes that we are children of God, and as children, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's our relationship. That God is a personal heavenly Father. And as a father, God has a lot of experience. You know, we, many people do not have good earthly fathers. And all of us as earthly fathers fail. And we look back and say, I wish I'd done this differently. I could have done better here. I wish I'd been more aware of. And, and, and look at that. And yet, God is the perfect heavenly father. In fact, the earthly pattern for families is based on the pattern of his fatherhood. We see that in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It says the whole family in heaven and earth is named from God the Father. And so understanding that, He is the best Father in the world. He knows our needs, He meets our needs, and He knows our greatest needs. And He will not allow things to come into our lives as His children that are not for His glory and for our good. He never wastes a hurt. All things work together for good. And so sometimes there's a chastening. It says in in Hebrews, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you are without chastening, you are illegitimate and not sons. Hebrews 12, really verses 5 through 10, are talking about the chastening of his children. And so he meets our needs in a way that brings us to him. Day by day, he gives us what we need. But he does it in such a way that it will meet the trials here. He doesn't just say, okay, I've got you covered for the next month. You're good for the rest of this year. No, it's a day-by-day relationship. That he gives us, the, he gives us what we need for that day. He so I don't know if I can keep going. Trust him today. Trust Him this hour. He is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted, to be tested. Above that you are able, He will make the way to escape. You know, when, when we understand that, it's easy to, to love someone who works for our good. When we understand the love of God, this is why I said, have you ever questioned the love of God? Because when we're in doubt, then it's difficult to Trust. Well, if God really loved me, why would this be going on? When we know the love of God and say, Lord, I don't understand why, but I trust you. Your way is best. Your way is perfect. And understanding that. We need to recognize, though, the recipients of this promise, this wonderful verse in Romans 8.28. This is a promise. This is a favorite verse of many people. Many of us have this memorized and have had it memorized because it is such a special verse. The promise makes it a favorite. But what I've sought to do is give us the context this morning because we need to understand the context of this verse. Who who are the beneficiaries? Who are the recipients of this wonderful promise? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We know this verse, but you know, it's interesting because the Greek word order here, the Greek text, the word order is different than we have it in our English text. In the Greek, it reads, And we know that to those who love God, all things work together for good. It brings that forward. The promise is not a universal promise that's true for everybody. It's not the situation for, for those who do not know God. Not everything is good for, for them. Not every situation turns out well for every person. This is for his children. This is for those who love him. So that's why we have to say, not question his love for us and our love for him. You know, one of the things that trials do is they separate us from the things of this world. Because the Bible tells us if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And recognizing this, so so are you his child this morning? Are you, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? You may have heard this many times. You may have grown up in church, but is he your personal Heavenly Father? Has there been a time that you've turned from sin and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? I can't save myself. I cast myself on your mercy and the work of Jesus Christ alone. It's not Christ plus what I do. Church membership, baptism, my good works, if those outweigh my bad works. No, it's in Him alone. Is that you? Because if so, then this is your promise. To those who love God, we know that all things work together for good. Now the other thing that we have to understand is we have to properly define what good is. We have to have the right definition. Define the content of this promise is the second aspect, because my idea of good is probably not the same as God's. The problem is our idea of good is as we want things to go smoothly. We want it easy, and God says, "No, we need those difficulties." And so we see that in verse twenty-nine, to those those He foreknew, He predestined for what purpose? To be like Jesus to be conformed to the image of his Son. So so God is glorified when we are like his Son, and that's what he's seeking to work in our lives. How does that play out? Well, when we see the life of Christ, we see some very practical applications. One of those was his relationship with the Father, that, that he delighted to spend time with the Father. He would intentionally get up early to spend time in prayer to spend that time in fellowship. He sought the Father's will. That was really what sustained him. And when the disciples came one time and they're trying to give him food and he says that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. John 4.34. He said, you know what motivates me? You You know what sustains me? Doing the will of the Father. That's what's living with an eternal focus that's investing for eternity so what was the father's work well for the son he said my hour is coming and has come when you he's speaking of his disciples will be scattered and will leave me alone john 16 32 and then in chapter 17 of john it begins father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may also glorify you that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What's eternal life? It's that relationship with God. The, the The quality of it is a relationship. The quantity is it lasts forever. It's eternal. But do you have a relationship with God the Father? Does that delight you That's where we turn in trials. Did Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? When I've tried and failed to resist of temptation? Yes, He cares. And how do we know that? Romans chapter 8, we didn't read it, but verse 32. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? I mean, the comparison is if God would give his son for us, then why should we doubt that everything he does is not for our good when we love him? But I don't see how that works. I get it. We have a grandfather clock in our house. We, we bought it for our first anniversary. And, it, and it's got glass panels on the side, and there's a light that shines in the back. And, and sometimes I'll turn that light on, and i look in those glass panels, and, you know, there's a lot of different gauges, there's mechanisms there's these, these things that are moving and I look at these gears and they don't all move the same way in fact some of those gears actually turn opposite of the way the clock is going so well how does that work? they all work together to move that clock in the right direction God brings the gears of our lives and sometimes they say but that, that's going the wrong way That's not the way I want it to go. God's working it together for our good and His glory with the goal that we will be like Jesus Christ, that they will accomplish that purpose. And so we can anticipate being conformed to Jesus Christ. And that's the third thing I want us to see in this passage this morning, that there's an anticipation of conformity to Jesus Christ. Trials provide motivation for us to mature spiritually. This is what he's seeking to do, to bring about that glorification process. Now, the the goal, God's goal, is that you and I would be like Christ. And I know that intellectually, I know that theologically, but but really, I like comfort. Comfort. I don't like things to be uncomfortable. Some of us, we're, we've, we've been watching, somebody asked me this morning of, you know, if I miss Maine right now. No. We had a friend from Maine that texted us last night and just showed a screenshot of the, of the temperature. And then when you look at the wind chill, and I'm looking at those, I remember that. That's when your face freezes. You know when it's 17 below or 20 below and that's not the wind chill. I remember that if there's any small hole in the wall that the wind comes whipping in and pipes freeze. And burst. And we've experienced that. And, and, and you understand, it's like, I don't like discomfort. But you know, sometimes it's that discomfort that really reveals what's going on. You know, I, I like to be comfortable. I don't like shoes that are too tight. I certainly don't like to be squeezed by the pressures of life. But you know, it's the pressures of life that reveal what's really going on in our hearts. When things don't go our way and we have those outbursts or we lash out and say, well, that wasn't really me, it was the pressure. No, that was me. The pressure revealed it. When the pressure wasn't on, I could keep it under the surface. And sometimes we can f- fool ourselves into thinking everything is fine until the pressure comes. You now, if we squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice. So, well, that wasn't really the orange. Yes, it was. It's the pressure that reveals it. Now you put a tea bag in hot water and what comes out is what's inside. Sometimes God puts us in hot water to reveal what's going on in our hearts. Because the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? And it's those times of trial, those times of pressure, the times of hot water that reveal us and often we don't like what we see, and that's when we see, okay, so this is what God is revealing where I need to change if I'm going to be like Jesus. Because was he ever under pressure? Was he facing trials? Did he have friends betray him? Was he falsely accused? Was he beaten? And and how did he respond? Without sin. He was tempted in all points like we are, but he didn't sin. So we can look to him, we can go to him, we can go boldly before the throne of grace to receive the help that we need in the time of trouble. Folks, this is why we need to talk to ourselves spiritually. I mean, what is the circumstance in your life that if you had all the power you could change, what one thing would you change today? How would you answer the question, well, my life would be better if I had a different job? More money, bigger house. My spouse was more loving. My parents understood me. I had a different spouse, different parents, better health. Do you realize that if you love God, He is harmonizing every one of those situations together to make you like Christ? You say, well, I don't understand it. I don't either. But that's His promise, and we know. We don't hope that some things work together for good. No, all things. To those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, please understand, that that's not an excuse for apathy or passivity. It's not just, well, then I can't do anything about it. No, that, that doesn't mean that we don't stand for righteousness and we don't correct sin and injustice where we are able. It doesn't mean I don't go to the doctor if I've got health problems. So, well, this is what God brought. No, he's given us wisdom too. We're to to respond in a way that honors Him. But when we can't change it, and God doesn't remove it, as Paul prayed, Lord, remove this from me. And And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Then I can say, you know what? I love God, and all things work together for good. Well, what's the good? Do I desire to please God, to reflect Him? in the midst of these financial difficulties, in the, in the problems in the home, with the health trouble. And you know what? In, in doing this, then we have great opportunity because this is how we mature. You know, a mature Christian ought to respond differently to trials than an unsaved person. Because we see the bigger picture that there's an eternal goal that's taking place. So is your desire to please God and reflect Christ more than the desire to change that uncomfortable situation. And that's where we have to say, Lord, I want your will to be done. When's the last time we thanked God for the situation and prayed, pray the Bible, Lord, I know that you are working this situation for my good and your purpose is that I would be like Christ. we ought to have a different outlook than the world around us because if we live for ourselves if we live for our comfort we're going to struggle when problems come a person who loves things more than God is going to really wrestle when those things disappear so how do you mature in your Christian life well through being in the word meditating upon it through prayer and God uses trials my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, multicolored trials, knowing the test of your faith works perseverance. Maturity comes as we go through the trials. And then James goes on and says, And let perseverance have its perfect work in you. Don't short-circuit it. Again, that doesn't mean we don't look for Practical solutions, but we never lose sight of the fact that God is working. So, how can you know how you're doing? Well, difficulties have a way of humbling us, they break our pride. The psalmist, in just the section before what we read this morning in verse 67 of Psalm 119, said, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. You know, we we can think we're doing pretty well until problems come. Peter thought that. Jesus told his disciples, you're, you're going you're to all betray me. And, and Peter said, not me. So these other guys, yeah, I wouldn't be so sure about them. But Peter said, I will never betray you. I will die for you. And the Lord said, you're going to deny me three times before morning. Do you remember the scene then at the end of the Gospel of John on the seashore? Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these? He doesn't have that pride anymore. He says, Lord, you know I love you. And he even changed words there. It wasn't the same level because his pride had been broken. Trials do that. They have a way of doing that to us. So do we desire to share in the holiness of, of God? Be holy as I am holy, he says. Jesus was the holy Son of God. And so, to separate us from our sin, before I was afflicted, I went astray, now I have kept your word. And then live for the praise of God. A second thing that we see though, is trials offer occasions to minister to others. I think it's interesting as you read through this, the the aspect of the plurals. We shall say these things. If God is for us, we need one another. We considered this when we went through the, the book of Ephesians, but, but we need a church family. I need a church family to be encouraged. We, we have a responsibility to bear one another's burdens, as it says in Galatians 6. And that's why, we, that's why we work to have our small groups. I hope you're in a small group. I hope you have somebody who can speak into your life, who can bear your burdens, who can help you when you're struggling. Because Satan wants to isolate you. And if He isolates us, then He can get us thinking, well, does Jesus really love me? Does God care about me? Does He understand what's going on in my life? We need that. We need a church family. We need to gather together. As it says, in, and so much the more as the days get worse. So we see the day approaching. When you read in, in 2 Corinthians, and we won't go there this morning, but it talks about how when we have suffered, when we've gone through trials, we can then minister to others who are going through the same things. Can't tell you how many times in counseling somebody will say, well, I'm dealing with this. And I say, you know what? Let me connect you with somebody who can talk to you. Because they've been there. I can give you Bible answers. I can give you the verses. But I can, I can also point you to somebody who's been where you are, who's felt what you're feeling. And that's why we need a church family to bear one another's burdens. And the third thing that we see then is trials give the opportunity to experience victory. Isn't it interesting that we honor Job? What did Job do? He bore great difficulties, amazing problems, and came out victorious. You know, there there are a lot of, of people mentioned in Scripture who had great military victories. I've preached before on David's mighty men and and some of those names, I would love to know more about their stories. I would love the details of those battles. And what we get is a phrase or maybe a verse. We have 42 chapters on Job. And, and we we look at Job because he went through difficulties. And he came out... Dealing with the calamity of life, with a, with a character that recognized that God was in control, and a better relationship. And God called him a righteous man. That's the theme of Romans, the righteousness of God. How can we be righteous? Well, we can be more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So can we say in the midst of trials, like Alinda Moldrum, though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. She said, as I got on that plane, not knowing if my brother was going to live or die, I had to grab on to the promises of God and the word that I knew at that moment. Because when that trial comes, I don't have time to go to my concordance and say, okay, now I think there's a verse on this somewhere. I think it's in the Old Testament. No, that's when we have to grab, though he slay me, I will trust him. Or, and we know that to those who love God, All things work together for good. What is that good? That we would be conformed to the image of His Son. Folks, if you have trusted Christ, that is your promise this morning. Whatever you're facing, whatever the trial. And if you haven't, you can trust Him today. Because that is available. Christ came to die for your sins. Will you trust Him today? Let's pray together.